WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Currently, school is not in session, and teachers have to find a way to interact with their students virtually. Hamid is a student that has actually studied teachers and social media. Hamid, can you please introduce yourself for us? Hello, my name is Hamid Karimi. I am a fifth-year PhD student in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering, a member of Data Science and Engineering Lab, and also a member of Teaching and Social Media. My focus is machine learning and data science, and the area of application that we're working on is teaching in social media and educational data. Thanks for joining us, Hamid. How does social media play a role into education traditionally anyways? Usually it's something that takes place between a student and a teacher in person, but how does that change when the dynamics going through social media? Traditionally, teachers to teach subjects, they use some curriculum. But if they need something extra, if they are stuck in teaching something, if they try to basically satisfy the student's educational need, they can go to a colleague and ask for a resource that is useful for the student. But with social media, things has been changed dramatically. So many teachers are connecting to their peers online and get resources from their peers from other teachers. And it's a huge amount of resources, very, very useful resources outside. The main thing about teachers and social media and education is the diffusion of information. So the information is getting diffused and getting propagated very fast from social media to the classroom. For example, the teacher's needs for a particular math problem need a resource. She or he can go to the social media, for example, Pinterest, and search for, for that particular resource and find many, many other teachers have the same problem and they have shared resources and she can use it in a classroom immediately. You bring up a good point, Hamid. Whenever a professor or a teacher are developing their curriculum, they do need resources for their students. Whenever they're looking for these resources and they find them through social media such as Pinterest, how do they know that the resources are valid and correct? And how do they know how well it works? So for that part, they can use their prior knowledge about the, the subject because they are teachers, they know the subject very well. And also they should trust the source of the information. For example, Teachers Pay Teachers is a huge, hold a huge amount of resources online about education and is a great social media. The teacher can even sell and buy resources. They are all legitimate teachers or educators. So for trustworthy, it's something is a little bit subjective, but they can ask their colleagues or they can verify it based on their prior knowledge. We're talking about all of this information that teachers are sharing with each other. So that way they're able to disseminate that information to their students more efficiently and appropriately and hopefully with more impact. But I want to understand what a computer scientist's role is when it comes to education research? When our role begin is when the data comes in. Whenever there's a data, it's our basically expertise. So first of all, we identify some teachers across the US, you know, some states in different areas. Then we ask them if they have any social media account, for example, from Pinterest, which is an image-based 
social media, very popular among teachers. Then we get the data using some tools and techniques. Then once we have the data to make sense of this data, we need some techniques from the machine learning and data science. This is where I, I work on it. So to make sense of this data, we use the techniques from the machine learning. To reiterate what you were saying, you're saying that you and your group identify these teachers and then ask them about their social media accounts and get the data from them. How are you identifying these teachers and what data are you gathering from them? So the identification of the teachers, this is the part that is done in like uh, educational part. And we care a lot to these teachers to be representative of teachers in the United States, like in different states, in different districts, and different races and different urbanicity, basically in urban areas, rural areas, suburban areas. And we care a lot to identify the teachers that are uh, representative. As a matter of fact, we are preparing a, a paper that's how did we identify these teachers? Once we identify these teachers, we ask them about their you know, so social media accounts. For example, Pinterest, if they have a Pinterest account. And then we use some like data scraping or data uh, download, basically scripts to get the data from the social media. And the data in case of the Pinterest are the pins or images relevant to the education that teachers are sharing. For example, for a mathematical problem, say the multiplication, say a teacher has created a very nice image and they shared in her or his uh, Pinterest account. Then we get this data and we, then we, we process data, data basically. What is this? What is this pin? What is it talking about? What the topic is talking about? And how many times it has been shared? And these, all these sort of questions. Personally, I don't have a Pinterest account, so I'm really unfamiliar with actually how the website works and what these pins are that you're referring to. Could you explain what Pinterest is? So Pinterest is an image-based online social media. What makes Pinterest is appealing is this image base. So practically any image you see on internet, in any blog or any website, you can pin it. It means you can save it on your Pinterest account. Once you save it or pin it, you can categorize them in different boards. Basically, board is a folder, is a directory that holding uh, different pins and you can classify or categorize different pins in these boards for example you have a board about food about cooking about teaching about classroom activities about trucks different very very different things what makes it very useful for education is many of the resources are image-based that's really interesting. It's literally like taking different pins that you're really interested in and putting them onto a specific category or board in this case. Now, how do you use that for your education research? So the boards, for example, can be related to education. We have observed that many teachers create uh, very relevant boards, for example, classroom activities or mathematics or very different topics on education then they pull all the resources related to that board on you know broad area and put it on in that board basically all the pins then we get all the pins in those boards and try to see what kind of resources exist for example related to the mathematics and if 
this teacher create the boards and name it, I don't know, math one and has a bunch of pins, what kind of resources exist here? Then we process this using machine learning and data science techniques. What's basically make it appealing for education is this, again, this image-based capability. Because many of the resources, especially for elementary schools, are like visually created to make it educationally effective. Then teachers, whenever they see it on the internet, they can pin it and they save it on their account. For example, Teacher Pay Teacher, as I said, is the largest online marketplace for selling and buying resources is, is an image-based. And it's perfectly matched with what a Pinterest is. So this is why many teachers are using Pinterest. It's great that there's a social media application where teachers from all over the world can connect to and share their resources with each other. Whenever they're putting these pins on their boards, do they give you permission to use the data from the boards or because if they're public, can you just use them? So the data is basically public. They can make it private, but the Pinterest data is public. And the Pinterest itself provides some APIs, basically access point or programming access points that you can use to pull the data from Pinterest. They have some regulation for this, and we use those API to get the data from Pinterest. I can't imagine what collecting all of this data would have been like, but now I'm curious about what you're actually doing with the data. How are you analyzing it, and what types of conclusions are you trying to make from them? Oh, that's an excellent question. Let me give you a concrete example. In one particular application, we focus on mathematical pins, the pins that are teaching mathematics, different mathematical problems. And one of the challenges is, classifying these pins based on cognitive demand. If I make it simple, how difficult this mathematical problem is from basic memorization to like analyzing it. So we have five different categories of cognitive demand, five different categories of classifying the difficulty of the pins, which is very important for teachers if they're gonna teach some subjects to students, they, they should know how difficult this you know, subject is, they can also detune it based on students' needs. So our uh, focus in that particular application was classifying pins based on the cognitive demand and difficulties. And we use machine learning techniques. In particular, we use neural networks to classify these pins. It's good to note that you're focusing on mathematical pins. It might make it easier because there's numbers and stuff like that. And since you're classifying it based off of how hard it is, maybe math is an easier one for you to do. But you mentioned that you're using neural networks to classify pins. What do you mean by a neural network? So a neural network is type of uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning technique that uses big data, big amount of data to make sense of basically the data. If I give you a little bit of background, so traditionally what we did in programming, we specify every single instruction for a program. But sometimes we cannot formulate, we cannot give all the instructions. For example, if I am going to analyze some pictures about like this picture is a picture of a dog or a cat. So what is a cat? What is a dog? We have some perception about cat and dog in our mind, but we cannot formulate it on a paper. So what we do is 
we get lots of pictures of cat and dog, for example, and we let the machine to figure out what the cat and dog is. We specify an objective function for a machine and we say, okay, if you make a mistake, we penalize you, we punish you. So the machine is trying to optimize or make, it, make a better prediction. This is exactly what we do in, in our case. It's very hard to formulate the, those cognitive demand or difficulties. So we get the data from very different cognitive demand pins and we let the machine to figure out the problem by itself instead of specifying every single instruction to, to solve the problem. This is where the deep neural network comes into play. So in social media, you can create an account and you can usually add other accounts like as a friend or something like that. Do you look at the relationship between these teachers, for example, if they're all within a certain region or something like that? That's an excellent question. As a matter of fact, we have a paper on that, the relationship of teachers on Pinterest. Basically, those teachers we got from the Pinterest, we look at their account and how they are connected to each other. And we had some interesting findings. For subset of teachers, we found that sometimes they are connected to their peers in the same district they are you know, teaching. This is because they are colleagues and they know each other, they follow each other on social media. And another interesting thing we found out that we can use these teachers on social media and find other teachers that we haven't even surveyed them. There are other teachers that are on social media. They are friends with current teachers that we have. So we can also using those social connections or following and follower connection and identify other teachers. Once we identify other teachers, we can identify more resources and so on and so forth. So the connections between the teachers play very, very important role here. So the network of teachers, the network on Pinterest, this is very different from the physical network of like uh, friendship network that two people are friends. These are connected to, you know, their peers online. So given the current situation, it's likely the social media have a, a more important role in education, providing resources for those who cannot go to classrooms and actually is creating more equal opportunity for different students across the U.S. and across the world to use a social media. I think the role of social media is becoming more important and many teachers have started using social media and many administrators and policymakers have realized that the social media is becoming very important. We cannot simply ignore it and we should integrate it in our education system in a way that makes our education system better. To shift gears and talk about something else, I would like to ask you about yourself. Are you involved in anything else at Michigan State University outside of your research? Yes, I am one of the graduate leadership fellows at MSU. In this leadership fellow, I was focusing on the graduate students' job applications and the future of graduate students regarding the finding jobs or they're going to join industry. They're going to join like academia. We organize a couple of seminars and workshops. I think it's really great that you're a part of this cohort within the MSU Graduate Leadership Fellow Program. What do you think has been the, one of the most beneficial things that you've gained after attending this program? 
It has been great to be a part of this Graduate Leadership Fellowship. It has helped me to improve my leadership skill a lot. For example, I have been able to connect to other people and how to organize. And it's one of the things that I focused on in the past year and how to speak in front of others. Also, it has been great that I could be able to help a student in particular at College of Engineering to guide them and to provide them with some guidance in their future job, basically, by organizing these events and writing some pieces about future job for graduate students and in particular graduate student in College of Engineering. This has been a, an excellent opportunity for me. I agree. It really sounds like it was an incredible opportunity, and I'm considering looking at it myself in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hamid. I really appreciated learning about your research with neural networks and how it can be applied to virtual and education in relationship with social media. It was great to talk about my research and our works that we have done. And I hope everybody's safe. I hope everybody's using social media for improving their, you know, their life and in particular education. And especially the kids who are at home these days. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Hamid. And to anyone listening, just so you know, the Sci-Files is on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Catch you all next time. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Daniel Puentes for Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Sophie Sagan, program director, Amber Konutsky, station manager, Joe Dandron, and general manager, Jeremy Whiting. This show, as well as the entire Impact 89FM podcast lineup, can be found online at impact89fm.org or by searching for The Sci-Files on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on The Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at sci-files at impact89fm.org. See you next week on Sci-Files. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.